1: Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now, here's your host, Cheryl Esposito.
2: And good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today, we have a special guest back with us today, Stuart Emery. Stuart has been a guest previously, and we're very privileged to have him. Agree to to visit us again he's an entrepreneur, executive coach, and leader an organizational strategist He's considered actually one of the fathers of the human potential movement. He served as the first CEO of est and some of you who are of a certain age will remember what est is, but it was primarily a place for people to go to learn about themselves and, and move toward transformation. He's a best-selling author. His books include Actualizations, You Don't Have to Rehearse to Be Yourself. I love that title. Success Built to Last, Creating a Life That Matters, and his most recent book, Do You Matter? How Great Design Will Make People Love Your Company. Stuart, welcome to the show.
3: Oh, it's great to be back, Cheryl. It's always a pleasure.
2: So nice to have you here. Now, tell us where you are today.
3: Well, I'm actually sitting in my home office looking out over the San Francisco Bay. Probably, I can almost see where you live. Oh, So I stay home here, I'm working on another book, so another oh, two books, actually. Oh, already you're working on another... You're such a prolific writer. Well, I, I find things I'm interested in and then dive deeply into them. That's pretty much the story of my life. <laughs> so I'm a sequential... Well, I'm a passionate man with sequential loves.
2: Ooh, I like that. Hmm, can we quote you on that? A passionate yeah, man can. with sequential love. Ooh, I like that. You could you could make that a book title. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your latest book, Do You Matter? How Great Design Will Make People Love Your Company. You know, I, I really appreciated getting into this. You know, you really focused on how design connects to the customer or the client, and you gave several examples, and I'm going to have you go into that, but, you know, it's um, it's interesting because the further I got into this book, the more I realized that there was more to the story than design, but let's start out talking a little bit about why this concept of design can actually make people love your company. Tell us about this.
3: Well, well actually, what happened to us as we were writing the book is exactly what you just Uh, talked about because as we got into the topic, it became clear to us it wasn't just a book about physical design of products. Uh, My uh, partner in the book, Robert Bruner, was the man who built uh, Apple's legendary internal industrial design group and then went on to hire Johnny Ives. And um, Robert did the uh, prototypes that became the iMac and the uh, MacBook and uh, then robert left and started his own firm um, but we were sitting there and uh, and what actually happened uh, he he relayed a story of uh, being at a class he was teaching at stanford university and um, he he held up his iphone hmm. and uh, he asked a student to give lend, lend him another phone which happened to be a motorola razor And he said, you know, let's think about what design really does for you. He said, now, you're university students, so you love playing God, so let's imagine (laughs) that in a twinkling of an eye, you can make one of these companies disappear. So let's start with Motorola. How many of you would lose sleep, wake up, upset, uh, go into emotional meltdown (laughs) or something like that if Motorola disappeared in this moment? And the only guy who seemed to care was the guy whose razor it was. He said, okay, so now how would you answer if I said Apple disappears? Everybody cared. Really? And he said, so what you've just told me is Motorola doesn't matter anymore. And Apple does.
2: Well, and why would that be? Why would they care?
3: Yes, so that's interesting because Motorola invented the mobile phone. I don't know whether you can remember back to what we affectionately call a brick. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's what it felt like you were holding It's about how big it was. Absolutely. A brick with an antenna uh, was the original mobile phone. I had one of those. And uh, so what we concluded was if you, and if uh, people are listening online, I want you to pick up your iPhone if you have one or your uh, iPod and say, well, I'm going to look at that. Now, let's imagine we take away... Um, the iPhone store, the iTunes store, the app store. We take away away the Apple store and the Genius Bar. Mm. We take away the fact that you can organize playlists and look at all kinds of media on it, particularly if it's an iPod Nano, the new one, or the iPod Touch. And if you take all this stuff away, what are you holding in your hand? Well, I asked this question in the Pentagon when I did a keynote speech on Do You Matter... And a three-star general back said, "Well, I'm holding a really good-looking bit of junk," Mm -hmm. and everybody laughed. But that was the point because, you know, the product is not the iPhone, the product is not the iPod, the product is the experience that that iPhone or that iPod gives you access to. Mm -hmm. So that got Robert and I thinking deeply. So we then started to look at other companies. We started asking our people, all the friends and people who were colleagues and then you know people at dinner parties, um, we'd mention car brands, we'd mention motorcycle brands. And here was the thing: People who weren't remotely interested in motorcycles really got upset at the idea of Harley-Davidson disappearing. Yeah, wow. And some of them BMW, because BMW make a great bike. But when you talked about car companies disappearing, The company that came up most often was BMW. You know, where I live in Marin, they call BMW basic Marin wheels, which is kind (laughs) of a little snide, but whatever. Um, And then we went through a lot of companies and realized that ultimately the companies that prevail are companies that provide the customers with an experience that the customers love. And that they do it by design. It didn't happen by accident. Mm, mm. And then companies that get into the trouble get into the trouble because they forget what made them successful. Ah. You know, we have a line in the book which says, Home Depot, you can do it, we can't help. <laughs> and they've abandoned that because what happened originally when they built Home Depot, they had hired retired contractors. You know, people yeah. who were plumbers, electrical contractors, yeah. carpenters, so on and so forth. And so if you went into a Home Depot store, you could go to a department, and if you weren't sure you could undertake this project, they would talk to you and figure out whether you could do it or not and what help they could give you.
2: Right, right.
3: And then, you know, some bean counter came on board and thought, well, the first thing we can do is save money on salaries and get rid of these expensive workers and replace them with, uh, you know, the lowest cost hourly workers with not too many benefits.
2: Right, right.
3: And then you went into a Home Depot store and, uh, you know, at some point you got so frustrated, the idea of do-it-yourself included the store manager and the wood chipper, Fargo style. (laughs) And uh, and it, it almost destroyed the company, and it did destroy Circuit City.
2: Oh, yeah, that's right.
3: They're no longer around, and it's destroying Starbucks. You know, it'd be interesting to see whether Schultz can bring them back. I went down to try their their instant coffee at the weekend. It, was, you know, it, was, well, it wasn't bad, but at a dollar for a shot of instant coffee, it's make and taste as choice, sound and taste really good. Yeah, yeah. So, you know.
2: Um, you know, one- it's interesting to hear you say that, you know, the companies find success and then they almost sabotage their own um, potential Yes. You know, it's like, what, what would, besides the fact that they can, quote, save money, what would make them be willing to step away
3: from the success path? There's got to be more than just saving money. Well, yeah, but you know, Cheryl, when we did Success Built the Last, um, and I, I have thought for a long time, and it keeps coming up again, that a lot of successful people and organizations actually don't know how they got to be that way. Mm. It's kind of what happened to them. And then, of course, they take it personally. They think it was them, and they, they think right. they know how they did it. Right. There's right. very few organizations out there that have what we call intentional cultures. Mm. So in, in, in Do You Matter, we say uh, that the, these enduring companies, um, like Apple, um, they say, okay, what is the experience? we want to provide our customers with, and how do we design our organization or some um, division of our organization to develop and deliver a product or a service that fulfills the expectation of that experience. So, for example, when Apple was being talked about where they're going into the netbook business, they said, no, we have all the netbooks in here. And... We don't see there's a way to do a netbook and provide an experience for our customers that we would put our name on. Mm-hmm. Now, as you probably know, the Internet's rife with uh, rumors yes. about the Apple tablet, which yeah. uh, uh, I'm under NDA on, but I'm not going to deny the rumors. How's mm-hmm. that for dodging the bullet? <laughs>
2: Well, if you get any inside information, we'll be happy to know. <laughs> um,
3: my lips are sealed, right?
2: <laughs> Well, so, you know, as I think about that, now, I am an Apple user, and, um, and I actually became an Apple user because, get this, I got mad at Microsoft. Now, Microsoft wasn't the reason that my PC crashed and lost all my data. It was not Microsoft's problem. However... When I was in the process of trying to retrieve my data, I had to have conversations with Microsoft around that. And the treatment that I got and the condescending attitude and the desire to simply get me off the phone and all of that made me so mad that I said, after days and days of you know, being on the phone with them, I said, that's it, I'm done. I'm done. I'm going yeah. to Apple. And I had, I did not, I was a PC user for years and very, very loyal to Microsoft and, you know, thought, oh God, changing, you know, operating systems would be terrible. I was done. And so you're right, you know, if they had been, if my experience with them had been wonderful, they would have created a lifelong loyal customer.
3: Well, I have a story not quite like that, but I, you know, I'm a guy who builds our home computers from a parts bin, and you can't build a Mac. But I needed to use Keynote for a project I was doing, so I went out and bought a Mac. I was totally unprepared for how my day-to-day pleasure in using a computer to get work done that mattered to me yeah. was transformed by using yeah. a Mac. Yeah. So now we only have one PC because a couple of bits of software, it's just easier to run on a PC than port them to the Mac, and I haven't had the time to redo the database Otherwise, every computer we have in the place is a Mac. And I remember talking to a woman uh, who's on the board of a company we do work with, and she had been the president and CEO of Victoria's Secret. She's retired. And uh, she, I said, What's your favorite retail experience? And she said, The Apple Store. I said, Why? She said, Well, I switched the Mac as soon as I got out of corporate life. Mm-hmm. And I am so grateful for the fact when I go in there with my new iPhone and my new MacBook. They never make me feel stupid for not knowing how to do something.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And that's so 180 degrees different from your experience right. of calling Microsoft to right, right. to restore your data. Exactly. And, that's you what know, and this have is really a really
2: great example yeah. of designing the customer experience. And we're going to talk more about this when we come right back.
1: The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to become a global citizen of the world? What would it be like to share your future with people of all ages from around the world who have one major thing in common? A commitment to make a difference with no language, religion, or age barriers. Make a difference in this world. Come to Bali this summer for an experience of a lifetime. Awakening global action, a seven-day gathering that will change your world. Call 866-458-2254 or visit our website at www.baliinstitute.org. You are the leaders the world has been waiting for. Call today. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl.
2: And welcome back. We're speaking with Stuart Emery today, author of Do You Matter? How Great Design Will Make People Love Your Company. So, Stuart, I love what you're saying about the fact that it's not just design. It really is what the design does for the customer and and how the experience is created. So talk to us about the customer experience or the client experience. How would you define
3: that? Well, I I think that each customer defines that for themselves, but um, there's a couple of ways you can get it. Uh, We say... um, to our clients if we want you to answer this question. If you disappeared tomorrow, would anybody really care? Mm. I mean, do you really matter to your customers? Do you know? You want the answer to be yes, but do you know whether they really would care very much if you disappeared? Because if you look at the really good companies, people who, who... have a great experience with the company, become fans. Right. And they're actually in there wanting you to succeed if it's your business. That is so true. And, and I think we encourage uh, our clients to ask your customers. I was talking to a publisher of uh, one of the most successful series of you know, do-it-yourself books. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I said to her, I said, do you actually know why? Your customers buy your books. And she gave me a whole string of reasons. I said, well, what would be different if none of those were the real reasons? <laughs> I said, Crazy. do you ever talk to your customers? She said, yes. I said, who do you talk to? Well, we talk to the ones who are unhappy. I oh. said, you know, with all due respect, you're a really, really a smart person. That's really dumb as an answer. The only way you find out how to build your brand is to go out and talk to the customers who love you and find out why. And it may not be what you think. Oh, that's great. Now, that made a difference to the iPhone. The iPhone would not be achieving the total dominance it's currently heading for if it weren't for the App Store. Right. Now, Apple didn't want an App Store. It was never part of the plan. Apple have always had closed architecture. Right, right. And a couple of people, more than a couple of people, started finding ways to get applications on an iPhone. And Apple started talking to people, and they said, well, you know, the phone's all right. AT&T's not so good, but we love the apps. And Apple suddenly realized that was going to make the phone a hit. Right. And that was the experience that mattered to people, the ability to get the iPhone to do all this other stuff.
1: You know, as no, you know, I'm a
3: pilot, so i got this free app that gives me current aviation weather at any airport on Earth. That's great. That's a big deal when I wake up in the morning. Am I going to fly or not fly? Well, let's see. Right. What's it like in Santa Monica or Seattle or Portland? I know instantly.
2: Well, and the key, part of the key there is not only can you get these apps, you can get the apps you want. Correct. I don't, I don't have to have the apps you have, right? So as a customer, we get to customize
3: our experience. Correct, and that's the answer to your question. You know, to know what the custom experience is, you could ask me what my experience is. I love you because. And if you listen to enough I love yous because, you'll get enough becauses to know what the experience is that you supply that makes people think you matter. Mm. As I'm saying, "If, if, if, if you went away, I'd be really... Uh, my life would be um, less rich than it is. And because you're around, my life is more rich. Right, right. And that's what it is. Now, that's obviously true in a what we call a service industry. I think a lot of people didn't understand that that was true in the product industry. But but even in the, in the product industry, it's true. And in the product industry, if you get it right, it's huge because, again, it's counterintuitive to some people. They think it Product matters. That's what happened to Motorola. They thought it was about the phone, not so much.
2: Well, and that's, you know, I think, for instance, when the PC was being developed and IBM and Microsoft were trying to decide, you know, who's going to be in the PC business, and when Bill Gates said no, we're not a PC company. We're a software company, and IBM said no. We are a hardware company and turned down Bill Gates's offer to buy this software to make their hardware function at a higher level. Um, you can see what went on there. You know, it was it was really not lining up. They, you know, IBM didn't get it. How do we make this worth buying
3: for our customers? Yeah.
2: Uh, how you make, make it worth
3: buying is make it work. Yes. Sorry to go on top of you there. If you, if you look at this industry, Michael Dell, and Dell did a brilliant job at being the lowest-cost producer, but ultimately you lose that game. Mm. And for them to remain viable, I've had to go out and buy Perot systems because HP bought EDS, which was Ross Perot's original company. Oh, right. And um, you know, I spent a couple of days with Ross Perot not so long ago. And I watched the way he is fanatical about caring for his employees. I walked into his building, and in the lobby, there's photographs of people in uniform and flags flying on little flagpoles next to each photograph. And I asked about that. And that's a portrait of every one of these employees who were in the National Guard or the Reserves,
0: Oh, wow. Who have been
3: called up to active duty somewhere in the world. And he has an office in his company that stays in touch with their families. He pays these people their salary and benefits while they're serving their country. I mean, it's extraordinary. If you read on Wings of Eagles, he got his people out of Iran when the Shah fell, when Jimmy Carter couldn't get the Americans out that he tried to get out. So you just look at a guy like Perot, who's a great American, Mm. whether you agree with his politics or not, um, and you see, you know, he has very successful companies, and yes, he's smart, all of those things, but overwhelmingly, I've never met a man who so fiercely lives the values that he's so clear about, Mm and a core value is welcoming all people with respect, and warmth yeah. and generosity of spirit yeah. Yeah. and that's how he is and it's who he is and well, so you, you see it matters everywhere this idea about what's the experience and be clear about who the customer is right and uh, you know I have to look at two industries that need a lot of help it would be banking and healthcare mm-hmm. and they're both in the crosshairs at the moment you know none of us know how that's going to end up in the House and the Senate but we know both industries have to change right 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 and um, I think uh, there's a lot of opportunity there for a really enlightened CEO to come in and understand, you know, at the end of the day, um, we have to provide the customer with an experience that matters to them. Well, let's talk a bit about,
2: you know, how you translate that into brand and, and how you translate that into design language. Um, in the book, you say your brand is not your logo, correct. And and you also say your products and services are talking to people. Yeah. Um, so tell us about this.
3: Well, I think my favorite line in the book, and it's kind of a bit, I suppose, crass, but we say your brand lives in your customer's gut, <laughs> and that actually was inspired by Harley Davidson. I was I, I spent the Fourth of July not this. One that just passed, but the one before in Lukenbach, Texas, which is the kind of uh, spiritual home of country Americana, as opposed to country Western uh-huh. music. And, and every Fourth of July, people descend on that. So there were a couple of hundred bikers, and there are gentlemen bikers—you know, attorneys and doctors who ride Harleys—and all of these people gathered for great music. And you listen and talk about the Harley Davidson brand, and they're all. Writing billboards for the brand, and, and so you get really clear that that your brand is an emotional experience that lives inside the heart and soul and gut of the customer, mm. and that you can influence it, but you certainly don't control it. And in a world that um, tends to focus on the negative rather than the positive,
2: mm-hmm.
3: you don't get too many chances to make a mistake. Right, you've got to be ever vigilant. Right. But you've got to I think start by knowing where your brand lives and if you understand that it lives with your customer, Mm. then you can get your customer involved in helping you understand how to honor that.
2: Well, you know, it seems to me that organizations kinda get this backwards. They you know, they try to quote create customer service or create this Service excellence via some level of a campaign, via technique that their um, customer service reps or their employees will use when they are engaging with a customer, or that they will measure. Um, you know, kind of, you know, how many um, times do I interact with the customer? In you know, I don't know a month or something like that, and they use that. But it seems to me that what you're talking about makes this all
3: for nuts. You know? Oh, yeah. Most customer service measures are irrelevant because they're all based upon what the manager or the CEO thinks matters to the customer. But if you're wrong, you're terribly wrong. So you can pour all this money into doing what doesn't matter. Right. And no money or no thoughtfulness or awareness or consciousness or design effort into doing what does matter. We tell our clients and we work with them and help them develop what we call a customer experience supply chain. Hmm. We came up with the phrase because we'd been talking to Michael Dell or at least Robert had who you know, kept talking about his uh, you know, pr- uh, material supply chain to produce right. uh, computers more inexpensively than anybody else. And we thought, you know, that's the wrong focus huh. because Dell fell from grace over customer service. They won the award right. I'll be one of the three worst companies in the country right. for customer service one year. And it's an amazing story in the book, which is a cautionary tale. Uh, so so you, you have to understand from the customer's point of view what matters. And we kept telling people, you may not know. You've got to go and find out. And then when you found out, then you have to say, okay, how do I design everything to deliver that, preserve it, honor it? And now the really good companies have found ways through the Internet to involve their customers in the design and creation of the experience that matters to them. Mm. And the customers become advocates out there right. and sources of really incredibly valuable feedback. So right. CEO comes from a mindset that I really live in service to this experience that matters to my customer. Mm. I really am in the service business, even if I'm making widgets. Right. I'm in the right. service I'm in the experience business, and I have to design that and deliver it and guard it and honor it.
2: Well, we need to take a break, but when we come back, I want us to talk about, you know, what do we do in this economic environment?
3: Oh, I'd love to talk about
2: Organizations are just saying we have to cut everything to the bone, but service still matters. We'll be right back.
1: Consulting. Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Are you ready to become a global citizen of the world? What would it be like to share your future with people of all ages from around the world who have one major thing in common? A commitment to make a difference with no language, religion, or age barriers. Make a difference in this world. Come to Bali this summer for an experience of a lifetime. Awakening global action, a seven-day gathering that will change your world. Call 866-458-2254 or visit our website at www.baliinstitute.org. You are the leaders the world has been waiting for. Call today. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl.
2: And welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. We're speaking with Stuart Emery today, author of Do You Matter? How Great Design Will Make People Love Your Company. Stuart, before we went to break, we were talking about what matters. And, you know, in this economic environment, I hear companies all the time – of course, companies don't talk, but they do in some ways. I hear people in companies saying, "Well, we have to cut expenses. We have to stop this marketing campaign. We can't, you know, engage too much in our um, with our customers. Our are, people are spending too much time with customers. We want to shorten the amount of time they are on the phone with them, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. I mean, we could go on and on. What? can organizations do, given the economic environment, given this whole panic mentality that's going on, um, that is really undercutting
3: the service levels? Well, it's interesting that you say that because I have to tell you that at least with the small to medium-sized companies, my experience now is that the quality of the experience of interacting with a lot of organizations has gone up a notch. Mm. Suddenly they realize the customer actually matters. <laughs> so they
2: have to do something to make sure they keep the customer. Yeah.
3: Oh. Because they've gotten out of the disposable mentality with respect right. to customers. Right, right. it um, sounds a little harsh. But, but I think we're all acquainted with the 80-20 rule. You know, 80% yeah. of the stuff you do doesn't matter. 20% does. The trick is to figure out what's in the 20%. Hmm. And, and I think people, if they, if they really read Do you Matter and take it to heart, they'll be able to find out for themselves, for their company, because it's always company-specific, what actually does matter to their customers. They'll figure out what the 20% is. Hmm. So then if they stop doing the 80% that doesn't matter and expand doing the 20% that does... Mm-hmm. then they'll still be busy, but they will have stopped wasting a lot of effort. And if you're wasting effort, you're wasting money. Right. But the refocus on experience, the conscious refocus is a big deal. We've been doing work on and off for MasterCard for a lot of years now. And uh, when uh, Gene Lockhart took over as CEO there, we had a conversation with he and his new team on the board. Uh, and they, they asked I asked them, what business were they in? And they gave me a lot of fuzzy answers, and they said, what business does it look like we're in? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, if I answer as a cynic ex-advertising guy from Australia, uh-huh. I'd say you're in the business of getting Americans further and further into debt to buy more of, what they can never get enough of, and they don't need any way to make them happy, and as such, you have little or no redeeming social value. And that kind right. of went quiet in the boardroom <laughs> there. I bet. And they said, well, is there an alternative? I said, yes. What would happen to your business if you took the point of view that what actually makes you happy, money can't buy? On some level, it's priceless, but you can use your MasterCard Mm. for everything else. Double their market share. That's fantastic. Because they realized, you know what, we're in the experience business. Right. Right. We're in the business of facilitating experiences. Like the iPhones in the business of facilitating your digital life. Mm. your Connection with friends, your connection with right, music. Right, So on and so forth. So, so people can refocus what is the experience that we facilitate. What is the experience that matters to people. Mm. And, and, you know, I, I'm about to change banks. I have been, I'm a loyal guy. I have been at the same branch of Bank of America in downtown Tiburon since 1971. Mm. Do you know when That's I walk in time. there, they have absolutely no idea who I am? They don't know who you are? No. Because they change tellers oh uh, well, I was going to be crass as often as most people change underwear. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's
2: stupid. <laughs> Well, you know, and that, that's really interesting. I know in the um in the financial world, um, because the teller job has changed so much, it's tough to keep people in that role. Correct. Yeah. And but so, you know, it's not only that companies have to create the experience for the customer, they have to create the experience for their employees too.
3: Correct. Can you speak to that a little bit? Well, you know, yes. I, I watch companies say, well, and, and I certainly, as, as Seinfeld would say, not that there's anything wrong with this, but I you know, will watch companies say, okay, now we've got to focus on the employees, and they will do that. But in doing that, they won't tie the focus on the employees to the focus of the customer to the economic right. performance of the business Right, system. right, yeah. You know, you have to have an integrated approach, which is what... Do you matter how great design will make people love your company is really about? Mm -hmm. You need that whole customer experience supply chain design. So obviously, if your employees hate you, your customers won't like you either. Mm -hmm. But you have to stitch it all together. You know, you right. have to understand the connection of how I relate to the employees mm. will influence how they relate to the customer, mm-hmm. which will relate to how the customer talks about us to their friends, which will bring their friends into the business. Right. I have right. to understand how all that works together. But I have to do all of it. And that was the thing that was so impressive about Perot. Uh-huh. He tells a story. He was thinking of buying General Motors. And um, this was when he was the largest stockholder. And he went to Detroit, and they took him up to the dining room and, you know, and the, wherever it was. The air was so thin up there, he said, you needed oxygen, more or less. <laughs> and then he, then he walked around the plant, and they just hated the fact that he talked to the rank and file. So um, he said, well, we need another conversation. Come down to my place. So they come down to his place, and he's telling me this story while we're in line at the cafeteria in his business. And he's lined up with everybody else. And he said, well, I brought, I brought the General Motors folks down to uh, the cafeteria. And they thought I was putting them on, that this was a setup. Uh-huh. They couldn't believe this is where I actually eat every day. <laughs> and when they sat down to eat, they said, gee, the food's pretty good here. <gasps> he said, yeah, that's what happens. And the chairman and the CEO eat here every day. <laughs> and yet I would watch how people related to it with warmth, with respect, he with mm-hmm. them. And then we had a long conversation about why he didn't buy General Motors and why they were going to fail. And I had a lot of actually documentary evidence that he provided me with about all of this. And he just said, you know, the relationship between the people in the ivory tower and the people who make the cars is so destructive that nothing good can come of it. Mm. And, uh, and But it does have to all be tied together, you know. Ross never forgets that they've got a business to run. And he understands that these people really matter and that these customers right. really matter. Right, right. And you've got to tie all that together so people all through the system feel respected, feel valued, feel like they matter.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And then well, your company I've... ends up mattering.
2: Then the company ends up mattering, exactly. You know, I loved how you called it the customer experience supply chain because... It that gives me the image of, you know, really mapping out what the customer does experience and maybe with different transactions, right, and with different people. And the customer could actually tell you, this piece matters, this piece doesn't, this piece annoys me, right? mean, is that part of what can happen?
3: Yeah, and you can track all that down. As you know, a little over two years ago, Joni and I—Joni is my wife. Uh, people listening, within a couple of months of each other, were diagnosed with cancer.
2: Yeah.
3: And then our good friend Blaine, his wife Pam, was diagnosed too. So we all went through this kind of about the same time. And so I've got a lot of experience of healthcare from the inside. And and uh, we're going down to uh, Arkansas next week to talk to a CEO of a healthcare system. Because there's a system, not not the CEO system, but but, but here's an industry mm. that truly does need to be overhauled. And, and, and um, you know, I don't think government legislation can overhaul the experience. It can perhaps overhaul how it gets paid for. But to overhaul the experience, I think that's something that really smart healthcare CEOs will start to do uh, proactively, preemptively, right. rather than wait. Right. And... Um, I mean, there's something that truly really matters as we get older. A lot of us.
2: Sure, sure. Well, and, and you know, healthcare. I have healthcare clients also, and um, it's a constant challenge and a dance to do with you know what's the expectation and what's the capacity. You know, the expectation uh, from many directions, from the uh, employee direction, whether they are. Um, Physicians or nurses or techs or administrative officers in the organization and expectations from insurance companies and third-party payers. And, you know, it is, it's is—it's a huge mess.
3: Correct. Uh, I mean, I, I obviously ask people to go out and buy successful book, The Last, Creating a Life That Matters, and, of course, then the book, Do You Matter?, Another book I ask people to buy of their clients is go out and buy a copy of Freakonomics. Remember that one? Yes, yes. So, so I studied economics at the University. and uh, uh, But I, I would love my professor at that time to have said what they said in Freakonomics, that when you boil it down, economics is the study of, the understanding of, and the application of incentives. Hmm.
2: That's interesting.
3: And we can talk about how that plays out in the healthcare segment or any segment you like in the next segment of the show.
2: Oh, very good. I love it. My guest is becoming the host. Good job, Stuart.
3: We'll be right back. I'm watching the clock here. We'll be right <laughs> back.
0: We've been around for too long. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: Are you ready to become a global citizen of the world? What would it be like to share your future with people of all ages from around the world who have one major thing in common? A commitment to make a difference with no language, religion, or age barriers. Make a difference in this world. Come to Bali this summer for an experience of a lifetime. Awakening Global Action, a seven day gathering that will change your world. Call 866 458 2254 or visit our website at www.baliinstitute.org. You are the leader the world has been waiting for. Call today. Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl.
2: And welcome back. We're speaking with Stuart Emery today. Stuart, tell us about the healthcare industry and the overhaul of the experience you think needs to happen.
3: Well, I, you know, I have to start by by saying that I, um, you know, I'm enormously grateful for the life that I live because you know this country's been kind to me. I came here from Australia and I stayed and. Uh, and I've done well, and, and I'd like to think I've done well because I've created value for people,
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh, which is how I think any of us do well at the end of the day.
2: Mm-hmm. If we're
3: if we enduringly successful, it's because we create value for people. And with that comes, you know, a lot of benefits. So that when I got sick and when Joni got sick, we had access to the very best people in, in California, some of them being the best people uh, in the country, maybe even in the world. And we got concierge service at a lot of these places. Mm. But I watched um, people who didn't have that kind of access. And I watched them sitting in waiting rooms. uh, And you go into a waiting room in an oncology department of a hospital. It's truly harrowing. There's people there who are terrified and and are almost incapable in their fear of hearing what's being said. Sure. And even with the access we had, it became clear to Joni and I, it became clear to Pam, and you were involved supporting Mm -hmm. Pam, we have to end up being our own general contractor. Right. and, And managing our own healthcare and system. So clearly there's a need to say, okay, you know, on one side we're medical people and we're dealing with, a diagnosis and prognosis and treatment protocols and statistics and probabilities um, and a lot of what we'd like to know we don't know and we don't know whether we can tell uh, uh, patients that we absolutely don't know, although I have to tell you, the more skilled and the more accomplished the physician is, I find the more comfort they have in telling me that they don't know for sure. Right. Uh, But when all of that's said and done... How do you then build a system where people feel cared for as people, not simply as a physical body? Mm. And, and, and once again, I find the good people are incredible. I found the surgeon I had at UCSF, uh, Peter Carroll, was more open to what we call alternative medicine. He asked me, mm. do I meditate? Do I get acupuncture? Mm. Do, I do, do I do massage? And I said, well, I actually do. Why do you ask? He said, well, we don't know why, but people who do this have better outcomes than Mm. people who don't. Right, right. And then I hear the alternative medical people tell me what bad guys big medicine is. It's simply not my experience. So, you know, one of the sad things about America today is there isn't a middle anymore. Mm. Everybody's polarized. I talked to one of the famous talk show people, and and in a moment of know, frankness. the person said to me, he "said You know, I used to think we just use conflict as a means to an end." And he said, "I hate to admit it, but it's become the end in yeah. and unto itself." Yes. And you know, there's no middle in in in, in politics. You know? Right. you know, people. I remember John McCain saying to me, he "said You know, when I when I be, first came to the Senate, we could disagree in the issues, but at the end of the day, we could cross the aisle." shake each other, by the handbook each other in the eye and be friends and go and you know, right. sit down and talk right. it through as people, right. with mutual respect and regard for each other. Right, right. It's now where you know, everybody's vilifying everybody who disagrees with them. Right, right. And, and I, I think the media has a lot to do with it. So I think if you say, let's come back to the experience, somebody has to take a stand. Mm. So if we look at healthcare, uh, let's look at this idea of Freakonomics. Uh, I ended up in the emergency room two weeks ago, and, and I met a man who I didn't know who he was until I walked into and in follow-up care, and he had a plaque out on his wall which said, in his category, he's one of the top 100 surgeons in the United States. Mm. And uh, he went through. He said, you know what? You see, you have a number of issues. They're not life-threatening. They could be irritating. They could all properly be helped with surgery, but you know what? I don't think you ought to do any surgery. I think we just ought to find other ways to manage this and see where we are in a year or two.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And he said, you look stunned. I said, well, you're, in a, you're a surgeon, mm-hmm. and the whole incentive system is to right. incent you to do more surgery. Right. He said, he said, but I'm also a very busy surgeon, so I actually don't need <laughs> to do more surgery. I need to do less surgery. Oh, how funny. And then I talked to a guy who's uh, the top a medical venture capitalist in the field of medical devices in the country. And he's really a really good person. I mean, you know, you and I and your husband often call venture capitalists vulture capitalists. <laughs> and they've earned the name. Mm. Uh, and I watch some of them, particularly in the medical field, they just don't have a clue and they're very big names. We won't say it on the air to protect the guilty. But um, <laughs> I was talking to this man and he said, if I look at the healthcare systems, that produce the best outcomes, they've got the incentives right. This is the problem with medicine today, and Obama talked about it briefly, is the incentives are, are messed up. Yeah. Because the medical people get paid to do more. The, the hospitals get paid to do more. Everybody right. gets paid to do right, more, right. and more costs more. Right, right. He said, but if I look at hospital systems where, um, They focus on the outcomes, and they understand what actually contributes to the outcome, not the least of which is the health of the patient's spirit. Mm. They often or mostly accomplish more by doing less. Mm -hmm. He said, but that means you've got to change the incentives. What do people get rewarded for? Right, right. And, and you know, these very good systems, people get rewarded as a team, not as, you know, the individual superstar, which is the old medical model, you know, with right. what we call a brilliant surgeon model. Right. Uh, which needs to go out of fashion. And if I look at all systems that do well, if we go into a, a company and they want us to help them with their culture, the first thing we say to them is, are you willing to change the incentive system in this system? Yes. You know, Michael Dell was trying to get Dell to be design savvy, but people didn't get incentivized for that. They got incentivized for saving a cent on a laptop item. Right. That's what they got accolades for. Right. And so if you say, yeah, well, we really care about design, by the way, you need to say a penny here. Uh, what are they going to do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So until you figure out a way to incentivize people, to provide a great experience and understand what the elements are that make up a great experience. I sat on an airplane with a woman who runs health care for a big insurance provider. And uh, she said, you know, we really are going to have to struggle with the length of life versus the quality of life issue. Mm. And she said it's going to be a very ferocious debate because You know a lot of what we do prolongs people's suffering right in the name of being humane right right and she said you know I I don't want to play God about this but we do have to think about it I said you know my wife decided not to take a particular drug because she reacted badly to it it increases her chances perhaps of recurrence if she doesn't take it Mm. but she can either be miserable for an extra couple of years or maybe have a year or two less of a wonderful life. What are you going to choose? Right, right. To choose a wonderful life, not to be the victim of endless side effects in the name of a couple more years, maybe.
2: Mm. Well, Stuart, we are coming to the end of our show, and this has been incredibly enlightening and a breath of fresh air as I think about what's going on in organizations these days. And... I know people are going to want to know more and know where to get your book, so what can they do?
3: Do DoYouMatter.com That's easy. Easy. DoYouMatter.com It's a great website. Uh, Robert Bruner and his crew did a terrific job putting it together. and uh, I want everybody to go there because how you survive in economic times is you learn to matter. Great. That's fantastic.
2: Stuart Emery, thank you for being with us today on Leading Conversations. We will have you back
3: again. Such a pleasure. Thank you, everybody.
2: Remember, everyone, to think big because the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito.